I, as you probably saw the motorbike out there, and I, I rode the bike today, and I thought I'd take the opportunity to do that. Um, I, I don't often come to church by myself, so with Helen being sick. But not only did I bring the bike, I actually I've worn all of my full leathers, right? Leather pants, vest, the the leather jacket. There you go, folks. Different camera now. The leather, the the the, the jackets out on the bike. So I've done it for a reason because. So often, uh, what we see on the outside is not really representative of what is on the inside, you know? And especially in church, sometimes you see in churches people wear the most expensive clothes and they look nice and I'm not saying anything about that but you don't but it's not always a reflection of what's in the heart and sometimes you see the opposite you see people wear older clothes or second hand clothes or whatever because of their situation or financial situation but it's not doesn't reflect what's inside the heart. And um, I guess never judge a book by its cover, you know. People are people and, you know. Anyway, I want to talk today, I want to preach to you. Really, I want to teach. It's more of a teach than a preach today. The building blocks of Christianity. Folks, I got so inspired last week when Gary preached about Ephesians chapter 1. I turned the page. I'm preaching Ephesians chapter (laughs) 2. Didn't go far, did I? And I'm starting at verse 19 and I'm reading through to 22 to the end of the chapter. (coughs) Excuse me. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I like that. Built on the foundation, folks, of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Man. That is one of the coolest paragraphs in the Bible, I reckon. There's a few that are pretty cool. So, there are several elements outlined in this passage. And folks, I left my PowerPoint 
presentation at home. I spent about an hour on that thing. Anyway, so there are several elements outlined in this passage. First thing we see, we are members of his household. Number two, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Number three, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Number four, a holy temple in the Lord. Number five, we're being built together. And number six, a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. These are the six elements that I have outlined out of this passage. And I want to look at each of those today. But firstly, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of foundation. The primary purpose of foundation is to hold up your house. Okay? That's the purpose of the foundation. Some people have a slab, cement slab, right, for foundation. I don't have one of those. I've got, I've got stumps in my house. That's my foundation. Stumps go into the soil. Hold the house up. And <clears throat> if you've got some stumps that have sunk a bit, then your floorboard becomes a bit like the roller coaster at Luna Park. Well, not quite, but yeah. And then you have to get a guy to come in and put packing in the stumps and get it all level again. You need your foundation to be good and level. And without a foundation, your house would quickly sink into the ground unevenly. Imagine if you built your house. Um, <clears throat> on my way back from, Denola, from um, Bialaba the other day, I swung through Pete and Lynn Street and had a look at their new house. Folks, I was impressed. Looks good, Lynn. Looks really nice. I love the colour of the bricks and the roof. I even saw a TV antenna. Oh, that's old. But imagine if Pete had the house just built on the on the dirt without without the foundation. Imagine when the rain came. Um, you know, funny things would happen. That you get cracks in the bricks, and you know. Foundation is everything. Okay. A house properly built on a foundation will keep the home even and supported even during flood or earthquake, generally. Well, every country has their different building codes. But in Australia, the building codes are very good. Very, very good. And a foundation is not just strong enough to hold up the house. It's way stronger than that to also deal with flood, earthquake, tremors, all that sort of stuff. But, folks, as you know, today we're not talking about a physical house, are we? We're talking about a spiritual house. We're talking about the church. We're talking about, folks, the kingdom of God. And I'd like to open this passage 
for further review. Paul has been telling the Ephesians about what God has done for them. Number one, he told them how God blessed them and how he's chosen them to be adopted into his family. Last week, Gary told us all about that. Number two, they have obtained redemption. How? Through the blood of Jesus. And so have we. So have we obtained redemption. We have been redeemed. We sang it even last week. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, I know it's a song, but it's a reality. Jesus hung on that cross and bled for us. And his blood was the price paid for our redemption. Number three, if that wasn't enough, Paul says that God made known to them his will and has given them an inheritance in the Holy Spirit. Mate, we have an inheritance in the Holy Spirit. And the inheritance we have is that we are co-heirs. And in case you haven't heard me say it before, an heir, if you're an heir, okay, I've got two siblings, there's three of us. Uh, Mum died first. When Dad died, the estate was liquidated and all the money was split evenly between the three of us. We were all heirs. But we're not heirs with Jesus, we're co-heirs. That means that every single person in Christ receives the whole inheritance. It's not divided up between, you know, all the Christians. No, every believer gets everything. Co-heirs. It's, it's a pretty good package. Like, it's better than superannuation. <laughs> Because super will only carry you as far as the coffin, yeah? yeah? Okay. But this inheritance takes you beyond the coffin. Do you know, we talk about the pearly gates. Tell me, not Gary, because he knows the answer. How many pearls in each gate of the pearly gates? Good on you, Cathy. Each gate is made of a single pearl. Like, that's a big oyster. (laughs) I don't know, it doesn't work that way, does it? And Paul reminds the Ephesians that they were once dead in their trespasses and sins, and now that they are alive in Christ. And folks, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But we got born again. Born by the power of God. And you know, all that stuff of your lifestyle that happened before you met Jesus, that's at the bottom of the baptismal font or the creek or the ocean or wherever you got baptised. That's the old life. I tell you what, if the devil tries to remind you of it, just say, rack off hairy legs. I'm born again by the power of God. And the power of God is greater than the power of sin. And you are destined to the lake of fire with a false prophet, the beast, and the antichrist. There'll be at least four in there. Probably a few Russian dictators as well. <laughs> Who knows? Well, unless they repent, 
And some do on their deathbed. And Jesus has mercy. Alrighty. Folks, this is our reality. We have been made alive in Christ by the very same process as a church of Ephesus. We are a spiritual house. We are the church. We are the kingdom of God. And here's the question. Is your house in order? Are you known to God? Does God know you? Does God say, I don't know, Stuart, never heard of him. Or does he go, ah, yep, Lamb's Book of Life. Yep, I know Stuart. Ah, are you members of his household? These are questions I want you to think about. All right. I'm going to start with members of his household. What qualifies us to be members of God's household? The prerequisite, folks, is salvation. But salvation is only the beginning. There is Christian lifestyle and behaviour. And one, to be a household, we need to read God's word together. We need to serve others together. We need to express our love to each other. Often. We need to pray together as a family. We need to spend meal times together. We need to teach good values. We need to go to church together. Folks, we are members of one another. We have Christ in common. We have Christian belief in common. We have fellowship in common. We have prayer in common. We have repentance in common. We have so much in common because we are members of his household. We have all these things in common. But what do we do with all of this? And it's a question. And is this just like information? Is it just information or is it more than information? Is it impactful on our hearts? Or we just go out and say, Oh yeah, Pastor Stu was dressed in leathers today. Church was pretty good. See you later. There needs to be an impact in our hearts. Of some sort. Even a spark. Is Christianity a belief? Or is Christianity an action? Like, let me put it another way. Is Christianity an adjective or is Christianity a verb? You know what a verb is? Grade four, they told me it was a doing word. And an adjective just describes something. Is Christianity a belief or an action? How many of you, okay, Rhetorical question, no hands. How many of you are Sunday Christians? Okay, think about it. I hope the answer is zero. If we are members of his household, then we have biblical instruction to obey and standards to uphold. Second point. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I spent a long time on this. I wanted to get it right and I wanted to understand what that meant. The church began after Christ's resurrection. Before Christ's resurrection, there was no church. There was just Jesus and the disciples. But people didn't meet together in the church. To be built on the prophets and apostles in the church, sorry, to be built on the apostles and the prophets, the church had to have its origins after Christ. The church had to have its origins after Christ. We look at the work of the apostles. What did the apostles do? Church planning, discipling, training, teaching, and missions. And what about the work of the prophets? Prophets come from the Old Testament. Have you heard of the major prophets and the minor prophets? Do you know some of the minor prophets did better work than the major prophets? Do you know why they're called major and minor prophets? Because the major prophets have a lot written about them and the minor prophets don't have so much written about them. It's not anything to do with how well they conducted their ministry. It's got nothing to do with that at all. It's just the amount of information that's in the scriptures about them. Okay, I want to go through the work of the apostles. Remember that the, the foundation of the church, right? The foundation of the church, what we stand on today, is built. The church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, or the apostles and the prophets. I'm going to go through the apostles again. Church planning, discipling, training, teaching and missions. We're talking about New Testament apostolic ministry. Paul, Peter, Timothy. Um, um, who was the guy that went to India? Thomas. Thomas John. Matthew. Mark and Luke. <laughs> Silas, yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of apostles and they went out. And that's the work they did. And our church today is built on that foundation. But let me look at the work of the prophets. An Old Testament prophet teaches truth. An Old Testament prophet interprets the word of God. An Old Testament prophet calls the unrighteous to repentance. An Old Testament prophet receive revelation and direction from the Lord. An Old Testament prophet could foretell the future. Folks, the universal church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets in the first generation of the church with Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus as the cornerstone. I had a really nice slide of a cornerstone and most pictures of the cornerstone is like the stone or big brick or whatever, right in the corner, uh, and, and it's kind of shaded a bit darker, and then you see the other bricks 
built on that. But I saw one and I'm a bit disappointed I left my slides at home. But this cornerstone was built in the shape of a cross. And it was down like that, and but it was a cross that had a 90 degree angle at the front. So it went down as the, as the cornerstone. But then as it came up, the arms of the cross came out and interlocked with all the bricks uh, on that corner. And I thought, wow, that is so cool because it really depicts Jesus interlocking. You know, he's the foundation, you've got the cornerstone and the foundation is built onto the cornerstone and then, folks, we are the bricks of the temple interlocked with both the foundation and Jesus. So, yeah, that's us. We're bricks, just another brick in the wall. It was a song, wasn't it, in the 70s or 80s or something? But we are bricks in the wall of the temple. And we are the temple. The church is the temple. We are collectively, part, a, a, a collective brick, if you like, as Waddle City Church and New Horizons Church. But we are also individual bricks in that wall. And we are standing on that foundation that the apostles and the prophets made and interlocked or interlaced with Jesus as our cornerstone. So, to be built on the apostles and prophets is to be built on the revelation of the Old and New Testaments. I like this statement. We are built on the revelation of the Word from the Old and New Testaments. That's what we're built on. And in these testaments, it is these testaments that the apostles and prophets were a part of and the testaments were a part of them. Their lives were a literal expression of the revelation of those testaments, which we call today, folks, we call those testaments the Holy Bible. And that is the foundation. The revelation of the scriptures has become the foundation. And who is the Bible? God. Jesus. Because the word, Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. So the flesh dwelt among us. That's Jesus. You know the story, Bethlehem. You know, Mary, Joseph. How did Mary and Joseph get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? What was their mode of travel? Car? Donkey. donkey. Everyone says donkey. I search the scriptures, it doesn't even say anything. Doesn't tell you. Could have walked, but yeah, she's nine months pregnant. Might have been a struggle. But doesn't actually anyway, that's enough. that's a that's that's just a an aside, isn't it? So The lives of their lives were a literal expression of the revelation of those testaments which we call today the Holy Bible. And the Bible is the foundation, and that's that's right, that's what I wanted to say. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. 
This is the word. Jesus, this is the cornerstone, folks. This Bible, the Bible is the cornerstone. And the foundation. The cornerstone and the foundation. Because Jesus is the word. And we see the work of the apostles and the prophets in the New and the Old Testament. They're both important. What we have today in Christ is built upon everything that the apostles and prophets stood for. Yes, Christianity is just a matter of acceptance of Christ, but there is a foundation that Christianity is built on. And because the church was built upon the revelation of Scripture through the apostles and prophets, then we also become part of the building because the revelation of Scripture also applies to us. And when you get a revelation of Scripture, you know, you're saved, you've given your heart to the Lord, you get a revelation of Scripture, you're part of the building. You're part of the building. Don't just read the Bible, and, but understand and allow the revelation of Scripture to penetrate your being. Knowledge is, knowledge is not everything. Knowledge is not everything. The devil has biblical knowledge. Is he saved? No. Don't be a person like the devil. <laughs> Don't be a person that just has biblical knowledge. Allow it to come in. Allow it to change your life. And remember, everything that happened before you came to Jesus, is dead, gone, buried. Have you looked in a coffin? Have you opened the lid and have a look, had a look at someone? They're not going far, are they? No disrespect to the dead. But when you're dead, you're dead. And your sins are dead. Dead. They're in a coffin, okay? You can open the lid and have a look. Those sins are dead. Don't let them resurrect, okay? Don't resurrect them. Don't say... Ooh, sin, come to my life. That's what happens when we, when, you know, we fail a temptation. We're saying, okay, I'm allowing a bit of sinfulness to come to my life. Wednesday night we looked at the temptations of Jesus and Thursday at Denali. Jesus didn't do any temptation. And if he had, if he would have sinned. But Jesus doesn't do sin, and neither should we. Third point, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Folks, we must build upon the rock, our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, which is not just a sure foundation, but a foundation whereupon if people build, they cannot Fall. If you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you will not fall. You might stumble, but you won't fall. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus is not going to leave you. 
He'll pick you up and dust you off and say, come on. Let's have another crack. The chief cornerstone is the first stone laid in the foundation. And everything else is squared off from the cornerstone. The length, the breadth and the height are all plumbed from the cornerstone. And this will ensure that the foundation is laid correctly. And the structure of the building is built on the foundation. I was in a house once. I was in a house in Nigeria. In fact, Dennis was in the same house. And I made an observation. There were these nice big tiles on the floor. And on one wall, the tiles were just square to the wall. But as they came across, the other wall of the room was not square. It was not square. And by the time it got up to the other end, it was about a half a tile out, which was about that much. I, I don't even know how they pitched the roof because it wouldn't be square. I don't even know how that works. But the foundation that Jesus has prepared for us is square. It's true. It's plumbed correctly. But this is a metaphor for the church. We are the structure, folks. We are the structure. Or we are the church. However you want to put it. We are the structure or the church. We're both. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is, as a cornerstone, means that he is also the foundation, the measuring guide, the promise of God to creation. He guides us to a straight path. He is a foundation that makes our faith even stronger and will make the church stronger. He is a stone that enables the church to go and do ministry despite the circumstances that we are facing. He is a cornerstone. The most important element to our lives. Folks, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. If we don't have Jesus, we've probably got 70 years, 70 plus, 80. See, John Landy died the other day at 91. Man, that guy could run. Do you know he accidentally tripped up someone in the in the, in one of his long distance races at the Olympics, and he went back and helped the guy up to his feet, and then ran, kept running and and won the race. There's a great Christian metaphor there, isn't there? If you see your brother or your sister stumble and fall, you can go and give them a hand. Pick them up. Pray with them. Encourage them. And go on to win the race. 
<laughs> Who would have thought? Everything that Jesus stands for in both the Old and New Testament is in the chief cornerstone. The new covenant, chief cornerstone. The death and res- resurrection, chief cornerstone. The Christian life, chief cornerstone. New heaven and new earth, chief cornerstone. Just everything that is in Christ is in the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the apostles and prophets is in Christ, the chief cornerstone. We are the building that we are the building in that foundation and in Christ and everything that Christ stands for is in us. I feel passionate about this message and I want to make a recommitment to Christ. Even as I preach this message, I feel I want to recommit to Christ. And I do. And in my heart, I'm even doing that now. And everything that we have today and into eternity, we owe to Christ. We owe to Christ. Folks, let's have grateful hearts. You know, I was going through the self... No, I was going through the fruit of the Spirit for myself. Again, love... Yeah. Yeah. Nine out of ten. Joy. Yeah. Give yourself a ten for joy. Peace. No worries. Don't get too stressed. About a uh, about a nine and a half for peace. Uh, Gentleness. Yeah. Not too bad. Self-control, ooh, ho oh, oh. about a seven. Kindness, eh, easy, easy for me. Do it, folks. Write out the list. Flick your Bible over one day to Galatians 5. It's 22, I think it is. Write them down on a piece of paper and go through, give yourself a score. See, there you go. The ones where you're low, come and tell everybody in a sharing time. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) But, you know, you can give yourself a prayer point. You give yourself a prayer point. And if you've got a, a really, really close friend that you trust, you might, you, might, you might share, say, look, can you keep me in your prayers? I've, I've, I've got an area, a fruit, a fruit of the Spirit that's a bit, a bit less than nine, you know. Anyway, by the by, fourth point. How are we going for time? Oh, dear. A holy temple in the Lord and a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. Going to cover two points in one. We are not just a temple, folks. We are a living temple. A living temple that is holy. 
A temple is literally, folks, a house of the Lord. A holy place set apart, set apart from the rest of the world. And here we are, 19 Argyle Street, set a place from the rest of the world. The doors open. Not many come through voluntary, voluntarily. We've got to bring them in. That's okay. That's normal. Okay. A temple is literally a house of the Lord, a holy place set apart from the rest of the world. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 says, I'm not going to read it all. I'll say dot, dot, dot. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. First, First Corinthians six nineteen. Check it out sometime. Okay, the Old Testament temple was a place where sanctification took place. You know, sanctification, growth, fine tuning, life adjustment. It's where anointing took place. I'm talking about the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament temple. Yeah, the one in Jerusalem, you know, David was king. So, oh well, yeah, Solomon built the temple. Okay, it was a place where sanctification took place. It's where anointing took place. It's where repentance took place. It's where forgiveness took place. Uh, sorry, it's where forgiveness was received. It's where praise and worship took place. It's where prayers were said. It's where prophecies were received. It's where the revelation of God was given and received. It's where the Spirit of God lived in a box, in a special place, in the Holy of Holies. The Old Testament temple was made of bricks and mortar, folks. But the New Testament temple is inside the very heart of human beings. The Old Testament was made of bricks and mortar, but the New Testament is inside the heart, folks, of human beings. The New Testament temple has all the functions of the Old Testament temple within each individual. Sanctification, anointing, repentance, forgiveness, praise and worship, prayers, prophecies, revelation, where the Spirit of God lives. We are the temple. Each one of us, The New Testament temple is a holy place, a place where God is happy to live. Is God happy to live inside of your heart? Okay, I know a guy, my next door neighbour, is renovating a house out the road here. He's ripping out some walls to enlarge the living area. You know, how's your heart? Is your heart compartmentalized? Is that the right word? Do you have rooms in your heart? Do you have a room for Jesus? Do you have a room for temptation? Do you have room for a secret sin? Do some heart renos, rip out some walls, and enlarge that Jesus area.
my neighbour told me the other day we were chatting over the fence he's up at Arnhem Land fishing for Barramundi got the rod in he's skipping the lure across the water here's this voice behind him this Aboriginal lady come out of the bush she says hey whitey hey she goes hey whitey you're at the bottom of the food chain he goes what do you mean you're at the bottom of the food chain why are you saying that she pointed over there there's a big crocodile stalking him (laughs) (laughs) folks don't be at the bottom of the devil's food chain don't allow him to stalk you and sneak up on you I'm running over time do a self check attitude to others self righteousness deep anger that bubbles away under the surface influencing attitude self control sinful attitude folks this is just a short list but I'm sure you understand. Do a self-check. Write out the fruit of the Spirit on Monday or this afternoon and go through and give yourself some scores. Do a critique. Be honest. Okay. We're wrapping it up. Last point. Being built together just gone 12 o'clock we grow together and are being built together we have the five-fold ministry as outlined in Ephesians 4.11 which should be the style I believe for church governance and practice this apostolic style of ministry filters down from the top through the various ministries being built together folks is about growth. That is discipleship and ministry. That's growth. Discipleship and ministry. Think about the 12 disciples. When they were with Jesus for the three years, that was growth. It was growth. And then after they'd been through Jesus' school of ministry, they became apostles. And we're sent out 12, 72, 112 millions. Okay, one of the tricky areas in pastoring is that a church is made up of both new and seasoned believers. This apostolic outline of ministry ensures that no one falls through the gaps, that everyone is cared for and nurtured. And remember that Jesus is the cornerstone. Or the chief cornerstone. There are actually four cornerstones in a square building. But Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The other cornerstones are plumbed from the chief cornerstone. Okie dokie. And we are the church built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets. We need to be open to God's leading for Wattle City Church and New Horizons Church. We need to be open. It's more than just operating in your gift, folks. It's about joining together as one. 
It's about embracing each other. It's about being included. It's about including others. Step out of your comfort zone and become a family of believers rather than a bunch of individuals that meet together. You know what I mean? We have unpacked these verses in a major way today and there is a lot of information to digest. Think it over. Read the passage through a couple more times. It's only three verses. It's only three verses. Read the passage through a couple more times. Ask God to help you to realise the impact and the revelation of these verses as you apply them to your life. These are the building blocks of Christianity. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, folks. Heavenly Father, we've unpacked these verses today. And Lord, I feel I could teach all day on this subject. And Lord, our time today has come to an end. And I pray, Lord, that the revelation of Scripture will impact our lives strongly and sharply like a sword does. Lord, help us to light your fire within us and burn away the dross, the chaff, so that we're left with the pure things of Christ. Father, our life goes beyond the grave and many have passed on before us and they're already with you. And one day, Lord, it'll be our turn. And the generation that follows us will put us in the grave. But Lord, we'll be gone in the twinkling of an eye. Look into that gate made of a single pearl. We see the new Jerusalem come down and walk on those streets of gold. Father, Let us be the church. Let us stand on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And let us be interlaced and interlocked with Jesus, the chief cornerstone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my topic today is trusting God even in difficult times. We are living in interesting times. Things have changed so much. Every day we tend to expect things to get better. Unfortunately, we cannot predict life. It might be smooth one day and very, very bad another day. But we mostly trust God and want to trust him more. We all have times when things are good. And we also trust God when things are difficult or hard times. Yesterday I had visitors in my house. And they had a conversation with my pastor or my husband. And they were talking and talking and talking and I'm busy in the kitchen making my chapati. And they started talking about my someone and I was like, God, can you just put a zip into their mouths? <laughs> and I tried to interact, but it couldn't work. So I just trusted God. I wasn't in a difficult time. 
I felt it was a confirmation. God's unchanging character can give us a firm foundation when things feel unsteady and uncertain. I didn't plan for these people to talk about my sermon. There is a season in life when things can be so smooth to you. Yeah? You're in the church, the church is so good. You're, you just love the fellowship. Even when the pastor is preaching, there's a wonderful lady coming around and passing the lollies to you. How awesome is that? Everybody's greeting you with a lot of smile. Look, things are so good. You go to the streaming, the comments are awesome. Our sister Lela and Ron, oh, wow. They put all the comments there. Good on you. And all the friends in Africa, they are watching to support their own. That's great. And you feel things are good. Look into your family. The children are just amazing. Your husband is so lovely. He's already bought you a present. Things are extremely good. The business is bringing good profit. So life is so smooth on you. Go to the farm. Everything is working out well. A lot of lambs coming. The rains. Everything sounds to be good. I mean, everything is just okay. But all of a sudden, things take another turn. And you didn't plan for them to take another turn. They just decided to do that. They didn't even notify you. And they become horrible. Children become so bad to you. Your wife becomes another person to you. Your husband doesn't even want to talk to you. Your children just want to answer you in other ways. Things are not so good. You come to church and the pastor is preaching that message that is really cutting on you. And you just think, oh no, everywhere I go things are not working. Do you still trust God when things are like that? We need to trust God. How do you trust God? When you do not understand what is happening. When you can't see a resolution. Today, God wants us to navigate such questions in life. But my question to you is this. What does it mean to trust God? It is to believe in the reliability, truth, ability, and strength of something. We trust God by believing his word, relying on him, his ability, and his strength. I've discovered that there are three things. I know there might be many, but I'm going to tell you three things that God cannot do. Wow. There is the boat. God cannot lie. We read that in Titus 1, 2. The second one, God cannot change. And the third one, God cannot let you into heaven unless you are born again. How many of us want to go to heaven? How many of us are ready to die today? How many of us don't want to go to heaven? (laughs) 
How many of us don't want to go to hell? <laughs> Hebrews 6.18 assures that God always keeps his promises and he loves you and me and has good, has good in store for you. He has a good plan for you. Trusting in God means believing what he says about himself, about the world, and about you is always true. Trusting God is more than a feeling. It is a choice to have faith in what he says. Even when you are feeling so circumstances would have you believe something is different. Your feelings and circumstances matter and are very much worth paying attention to. God takes care of both. Because those things alone are not reliable enough to base your life on. They can change at any moment, even in an instant. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Trust God in everything. Trusting God is not about ignoring your feelings or reality. It's not pretending that everything is okay when it is not. It is a living life of a belief and in obedience to God when things are difficult. So, how do we trust God? (laughs) What does it mean to trust God in your day-to-day life? When you trust someone, you feel comfortable and honest with them about anything. You become so open to that person. God is much more reliable and even more trustworthy friend. When things feel difficult, he doesn't ask you to keep those things to yourself. He speaks to us through his word. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast your anxiety to him because he cares for you. Psalms 56, 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in our bottle. You have recorded each one of them in your book. Now, because God loves you, you can show your trust in him by talking about all your feelings and circumstances with him. The good and hard through prayer. Do not let your emotions rule your life. Bring them to God so he can help address them. He is not disappointed or frustrated with your struggles or pains or doubts. He cares about you and you can trust him. When you trust, you go to God and his word when life is hard and even when life is okay. You act on obedience by doing what God says in his word and trust that he will ultimately take care of the rest. In trust, you don't look for security in other things. You look 
to God to hold you, securely in difficult times. Let's read about uh, the book of Matthew 26, 38 to 39. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Here we, we see Jesus felt overwhelmed but by what was just before him. He went straight to his father. He cares for your heart. He pays attention. How comforting it is to know that God of the universe is also a paying attention to you. Knowing that God is for you. And he will strengthen you. And your trust in him during trust... Uh, those hard times and unpredictable times, it's always there. So today I would like us to know about seven ways to trust God in our day-to-day life. The first one is seek the truth in the scripture, confess and believe, share your concern with your community, I would like to ask, what is number four, Dennis? Number four? Yes. Remember God and spend time with him. Wow. Remember God and spend time with him. Excellent. And what is number five, Hank? Look for things to be grateful for. Thank you so much. Number six, Shirley? Walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Number seven, Patricia. Wait on the Lord. Wow. Now everyone is awake. (laughs) So we are going to look at this in details. Seek the truth in scripture. If I may ask, what is scripture? The word. Is it the word that is here or in a storybook? Here. (laughs) There are times that things are too hard and the only place we want to go is where we can find peace and trust ourselves that we will be in safe hands. Scripture is God's word and it is the Bible. It's the place where God has prepared to us to go for us to go to when things are tough in our ways. The Bible is always there and it never changes. It shows us in which way God responded to some people during difficult time in the past and reminds us that God is trustworthy in whatever circumstance. The Bible frees us from the expectations of earning our salvation and and realistic scenarios and we read this in John 8:32 so we need strong foundation in the scripture to stand on especially when we feel uncertain the bible is god's unfailing and changing word you can cling on it when life turns to be hard and tough and also when life is good 
We all know God's phone number. Call unto me and I will hear. I will answer. He's always there, 24-7. Yes, Pastor Stuart. Jeremiah 333, God's phone number. Call on the lead, I will answer. There you go. I didn't plan to do that and it wasn't in my notes. Thanks so much, Pastor, for helping me. I hope you give me a tick on that. So, number two. Confess and believe. Be honest. Allow God to remind you who he is and what he promises. And then be honest with him. You can tell God how you feel and in what areas of your life you are struggling to trust him. Acknowledge that his character is good and trustworthy. You can agree with him that all he says is true. You can also tell him when it's difficult for you to believe. So my sister Jennifer, you might feel it is too tough for you, but God is saying, trust on me and I will show you the way. In Mark 9.24, it says, Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We see a man brought his son to Jesus for healing from being possessed by a demon. He asked Jesus to heal him. And this was his reply. He believed, but it was a difficult thing for him to believe. So he asked for help. We all know the truth, but at times it becomes hard to believe when life takes another different turn. I understand we are all human. We are able to confess to God when our feelings and beliefs are not lining with this true. We can as well ask God to help us believe what he says is true. So, this helps you and me to accept that God is bigger than you could ever understand. Confession makes you to humble yourself and allows you to grow in trust. He hears your requests and answers them. He wants to help you grow in your faith. Number three. Share your concerns with your community. Before I continue, I would like to know, did we have our Vision Sunday? Have we had our Vision Sunday? What's the vision for this year, Peter Lawrence? I was cooking my soldier. Who can remember? Community? Something to do with community? Connecting community. Hey, Annie? Hey, wow. Hey, have you connected with anyone this week? Five Ford Ministry. Have you connected with anyone this week? Who did you connect with? Oh, I saw you on Facebook, Pastor. You did a good job. Well done, folks. 
That's great. So, when facing hard times, remember you are not alone. The Lord is walking with you every step of the way. Paul was a follower of Christ and he encouraged his fellow believers. We read that in Philemon 1.6 where it says, I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Paul reminded his friend that partnership is important and helps us to have a greater understanding of God and his plan. I want you to listen. When struggling, share those concerns with another follower of Christ. Not anyone, but someone you trust. Someone you know has a relationship with God and understands God's word. I'm giving you a caution. Do not share it with everyone. Choose those who will come to your side. Someone who will encourage you. Not someone who will put you down. Someone who will even refer God's character who has gone through that from the Bible and make you feel comfortable and even pray with you, support you, give you the right counsel. They can remind you of the truth when you are struggling. So community reminds you that you are never alone in hard times. They are always there to hold you. And this year being our year of connecting with community, the first community we need to connect is the friends that we have in the church. Let us be there for one another, support one another, encourage one another, build one another, support that person. Make everyone feel what Charlie said. I kind of wanted to tell Shirley, stop there. Okay, number four. Remember God and spend time with him. God is bigger than your circumstances. Hard times may feel like they will last forever. But they are temporarily, they don't stay for forever. God is always present in good times and in bad times as well. He's always faithful. He wants you to go to him with your circumstance. He wants you to come to him and have a relationship with him. He can shape your view of your circumstance. Spend regular time with God. Establishing a consistent time with the Lord when times feels good will help you to continue to go to him and even when things feel rough. If you have not started, it's never too late to start. Read his word. Spend a time in prayer, acknowledging who God is in your life. Meet with other believers and set your eyes on things that are bigger than your circumstances. Serve those who are around you These simple practices will help you to see God outside of difficult things, which will establish trust in your heart, and he will move in your circumstances. I've realized when I feel so sick and I'm all by myself, 
I'm just becoming more sick. But the moment I see sisters coming to pray for me and they share, and they start sharing the word of God, and then we read the word of God, by the time they go, I feel like I'm already healed and I'm healed. Because they have come to support me. That's the community, and they've made me now to feel that I am worthy. Then I read the word of God and I understand, wow, I'm getting healed. Number five, look for things to be grateful for. God's grace is in all things. And we are waking up on a sunny day like today, beautiful day. I love this. And also in cloudy days or in winter, which I don't like. God is God. <laughs> he is in all of it. When it is dry and when it is raining, he's still God. In hard times, in good times, he's still God. In the face of those moments that things are tough, God shares his will for you and how you should respond to him. First Thessalonians 5:16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God calls you to give thanks. He is always working in your life and in the world. In the moment when everything appears to be falling apart, it can be hard to see how the good father is at work. But no, his mercy is consistent. He's always there with you. Giving thanks fights the lie that everything is horrible. Even in tragic circumstances, there will be light and grace. God is present in making himself known. You need only to look. Trust grows as you look for God's presence in what feels dark and heavy. God never leaves. He will never forsake you. Number six, walk in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in anyone who trusts in Jesus holy. He is consistent helper, pointing you to Jesus. How many of us have Holy Spirit? How many of us have the Holy Spirit? Amen. Do you have the Holy Spirit with us? Yes. Oh, wow, you are good. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be killed. He knew the disciples would be scared and worried because they are going to be left alone. But he chose to tell them anyway so that he can give them some comfort. He promised them that they will not be alone. The Holy Spirit will be sent by the Father, God, and will teach them all the things and remind them everything that he had said to them. We read this in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit comforts and reminds you of the truth. It will also lead you in obedience and bring direction to you. It's common during difficult times to feel helpless and worry about the future. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in 
this situation. It eases us. And eases the struggles by guiding us to act always in obedience. Most times the Holy Spirit does not give us the big picture, but shows us the next step. It's always good to work closely with the Holy Spirit. And it will not only give us direction, but also remind us that we are not alone. God is with us in the difficulty, and he is making a way for us. Number seven. What does it say, Gary? Pastor? Right on the board. Awesome. I just had to call your name because I don't want you to critique me. The Holy Spirit will lead you <laughs> to what you should do. Sometimes what you need to do is wait. Faithfully continue to seek the Lord, but wait on his timing. Wait on him on, to act on your behalf. Wait on him to do what you cannot do by yourself. In the Old Testament, we read, we read that the Israelites thought that God had turned away from them. But God responded and reminded them that he does not sleep or take a break. He always sees them and is always working for good. Isaiah 40.31 they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Not sure. There used to be a song, but unfortunately you can't understand the language. But I used to sing it when we were in high school. Those who wait upon the Lord, it's just that verse in my vernacular language. Alama mwetela Yesu makeo wavinyawo makambacho nandao tandiu makasemba mateno wa makatambuka mateo nyala I just used to love that song. And every time we were singing that song, you find yourself just crying. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And it's, I think it's a song that most people who are not yet married, they love singing it. Those who wait upon the Lord, they just want to wait upon the Lord to get the best. Those who are looking for jobs, they love that song because they are waiting upon the Lord to give them the best. God will help you endure all the circumstances you are going through. There is a reminder that you are not in control. God is bigger than your circumstance. And he will sustain you and grow your faith as you keep on waiting. God never neglects your life. He might seem to be silent. Remember his promises that he is always hearing your prayers. 
and responding. Psalm 34:17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all, not half, all their troubles. So, as I come to conclude, I would like to say this. There are times we pray and feel that God has not answered our prayers or solved the problem we have. It is true that life is difficult and unpredictable. unpredictable. Most times you see the difficult time takes taking longer than we hoped for and bring us to the end of our strength. We need to wait, trust, and remember that God loves us. Trust him to sustain you and provide for you and be with you in a tough moment. Jesus guaranteed his, his disciples that they would face hard times in John 16:33. But he promised that he would always be with them. Matthew 28:20. 20. God is trustworthy. He does not ask you to trust him blindly. He wants you to learn to trust him as you get to know him. You can get to know God through your personal time with him and reading his word. In Romans, we see the early follower of Jesus, Paul, write about the present life. He reminds them that this life will have hardship and that our bodies will fail, but God is still working for your good. My last verse will be Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In times of doubt, remember his promise. Remember who he is and who he has always been, even in doubt and uncertainty. If you keep going to him, he will continually show himself to be trustworthy. So, my brother, my sister, let us have our trust in God in all situations. God bless you. G'day folks, this is Pastor Stuart from Wattle City Church in uh, Victoria, Australia. We pray you've really been blessed as you listen to the message today. And if you want to check out more sermons or messages from uh, WCC, just jump onto Spotify or Anchor or a whole bunch of podcast platforms and search for Wattle City Church. And um, yeah, more blessings to come. Get on you folks. Have a great day. Keep praising the Lord. Amen.